Hey everyone, this episode of the Second Pine Podcast is brought to you by It's Just Soap. Many store-bought body washes and soap bars are made with toxic ingredients that are harmful to your skin. Soap should be healthy for your body, leaving you feeling clean, hydrated, and moisturized. It's Just Soap is made with natural ingredients, giving you a luxurious lather for the best shower experience. Every shower should feel this good. Go to itsjustsoap.com. That's itsjustsoap, S-O-P.com. Leave off the A for additives. And use the code STAYHOMEHUSBAND for 15% off your first purchase. Before we jump into the podcast, we just want to ask you for a bit of help as we try to extend our reach. The easiest step is to simply subscribe or follow The Second Pint on whatever podcatcher you prefer. Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Google Podcasts, we're on all of them. A rating and review would take an extra minute, but would help even more. Finally, if you have a second pint drinking, scarf wearing, singing, wake up early to watch weekend soccer friend, tell them to check out this podcast too. AC Milan is one of the greatest clubs in world football. They have collected trophies throughout much of their history while also experiencing heartbreak on the field. While some stars like Ronaldo and Beckham have donned the red and black, the club's biggest heroes are ones that played at San Siro for decades, like Paolo Maldini and his father Caesar. It's incredible that the San Siro is home to both AC and Inter Milan. There probably aren't two more successful tenants in any stadium in the world. Recently, the club has struggled to find success after Silvio Berlusconi stepped away from the club, but there are rays of hope poking through the clouds. Thanks for listening. Now let's bring in Both for our discussion about AC Milan. Welcome to the Second Pine Podcast. I'm Sean Melia, and I've got Both on the other line, as usual. Buongiorno, Both. Buongiorno. I think my, I'm getting better at Italian. <laughs> I can say Buongiorno uh, more smoothly. I don't know if it's better or worse than that scene in Inglorious Bastards. But I have never seen that movie. It is. There's one scene. You just type it into into YouTube, and that's it, it, it'll be good enough. <laughs> nice. Uh, we are uh, still in Italy, and um, we're going to a big club this week. We've 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 uh, we've swam with the small fish. And now we're gonna we're gonna go and uh, and swim with the big one for the week and talk about AC Milan and uh, their storied, interesting uh, history. It is it was a fun club to really dive into and learn about. Are you a person who calls them just Milan? Is it Milan uh, and Inter yeah. in your vernacular? Yeah, in, in in my vocab or rolodex of of uh, of clubs it's milan red and black and then it's inter uh blue and black blue and black okay i just wanted to get that i just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page i typically call them ac milan but um let's we just stick with milan and everyone should know what the hell we're talking about right uh so just as usual a quick kind of rundown of where we are in Italy. Most people know Milan. Maybe you don't know where it is or couldn't point to it on a map. It's uh, in the northwestern part of Italy. Uh, I did a little Google mapping just to, it's always interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's because we're Americans and you're you're in Chicago and I'm in Massachusetts and we're so far apart and we're in the same country. But 
Milan is closer to Bern, Switzerland than it is to Rome. Um, it's like a four hour trip to Bern. Uh, the city in general is pretty close to, to the Switzerland border and um, up in that northern part of, of the country. Um, it is a very big city. It is the pro- the city proper has a 1.4 million people. Uh, I believe I read that it is also one of the biggest kind of extended metropolitan um, kind of populations in the EU. I think they have 8 million people kind of living in in what they would consider the metrop- metropolitan Milan. Um, it is one of the four fashion capitals of the world. Boff, can you name the other three? Uh, Paris. Uh-huh. Um, Madrid. No. London. Yes. New York. Yes. Nice job. Uh, and then one more, right? No, that's it's it's one of four. So Milan's the fourth. So Milan, Paris, London, and New York are the are the four capitals, or the four kind of fashion capitals of of the world. And I, I just I came across a crazy number, just <laughs> about how fashion exploded in the fifties, at least with regards to the money that was spent um, in the industry in nineteen fifty two. Uh, the fashion industry in Milan generated $726 million. Um, and in three years' time, that number in 1955 ter- went from $726 million to $76 billion. Um, so the 50s is when uh, fashion really, I don't know if that's a post-World War II thing and uh, who knows, but I thought that was a, that's an incredible growth for an industry. Uh, in three years, that's like GameStop kind of stuff. <laughs> um, we, I guess we just timestamp this episode. Um, yep. The it's the second largest economy. Milan has the second largest economy in the EU, behind Paris. And I also discovered that it is hosting the 2026 Winter Olympics alongside Cortina, which is a kind of small. Basically, just they're going to host all the skiing and the and the mountain events um, in Cortina. And it was first settled in 600 BC. Uh, that's when they have their f- kind of just their archaeological digs and stuff have found evidence of of Celtic um, settlements, which is just an incredible, incredibly long time ago. So that's just a little bit on Milan, um, a storied, well-known city. I have never been there. Have you been to Milan, Voth? No, I, I, that's one of the biggest bucket um, list items I have, man. Yeah, I flew into Milan as a ninth grader, actually, on a school trip, but we did not spend any time there. We got on a bus and and drove out of the city. Um, I have no idea why. I don't know if it's... I don't really know if it's a place that a school trip would want to spend their time. It doesn't... It, the the history and the, and the museum life, I don't think, is a draw for kind of the educational side or the middle school side of things. I think you end up... We went to Venice and Rome and... Pompeii and all those places, but it is definitely a place I would like to like to spend some time. For sure. Uh, and then we have the club, which is what we're going to spend the rest of this pod talking about. Uh, so the club was founded in 1899 by two English guys, um, which has kind of become a little bit of a trend in some of in some of these Italian clubs. It shouldn't be a surprise. It's Eng- you know England was kind of the birthplace of of um, of football and kind of of league of clubs 
it was it was a cricket club i think as well uh alfred edwards and herbert uh, kilpin were the the guys who founded it and it only took nine years for some sort of dissension to exist in the club and um it was based on signing foreign players and so inter was born out of the the schism that was built within the club over the course of nine years so Inter is, you know, was born of AC Milan, which I did not know. Um, I don't know if you did. You, was that something you knew, Both? You know what? I actually did not know that. Yeah. So there you go. It's kind of a older brother, younger brother. I don't know if that's the, but they, they are more connected than just sharing a city. Uh, they play at the San Siro, which is officially uh, Stadio Giuseppe. Mietza? Would we say that's how we say it, Both? Now that you've uh, improved your Italian? I would only say uh, Giuseppe. Giuseppe. Named, named Giuseppe. Giuseppe Mietza. Uh, it opened in 1926, and it seats nearly 76,000 people. It is the largest stadium in Italy. Um, and the San Siro name is just the section of Milan where the stadium um, exists or is found. Uh, and... AC Milan has been or Milan has been playing around and there's been talks about them possibly building their own stadium. This has been a 15 year discussion. Um, as we will talk about later, there has been, you know, a dip in money in the club. So building a new stadium, uh, that idea fizzled a little bit, but they were certainly talking about it. And it almost I think that almost happened um, at some point. The average attendance surprised me. Looked at the, that they have an average attendance of thirty four thousand people in a seventy six thousand person stadium. Yeah, I so that one, I don't know. I that one doesn't surprise me too much because um, I, I think there there are a lot of stadiums in, in Italy that, that don't get filled up to capacity. Yeah, um, like it's rocking and it's great atmosphere, but like you look at the actual fans and where they're placed, um, they're kind of either scattered or, or really low in number. So yeah. why, but it, that doesn't surprise me as much as maybe, yeah, I don't know, some other stat. Yeah, it's just such a, I, I maybe, maybe it's just because in the States, I mean, Fenway is always sold out. You know, clubs and teams over here brag about sellout streaks and filling stadiums. Maybe it's just not, not as important. They just want people there who want to be there. And Inter's average, they average 7,000 more people. Um, they have a 41,000 person average um, or fan average, attendance average. So you could, you could also, I mean, we've got two huge clubs. If you take both of those attendance numbers and add them up, it basically fills the stadium, which makes sense in a city like Milan. Um, you know, if it was a one city team maybe they do fill the stadium because everyone's a, a fan of just the one team so they're also just sharing they're sharing the um attention of a, of a fan group um you have uh you listed and I, I i will defer to you you went through and just listed all the trophies that this club has won yeah yeah no i think we were just saying for a second uh before we hopped on the pod that it, as as romantic and as fun as as it was to um, swim with the, the other little fishes of Syria, um, I think 
it'd be hard to, to do a series, a podcast series on Serie A without uh, a club like Milan. They're one of the most storied clubs that we've done uh, across two countries now. Um, and nah, man, it, it's just like a cool look at how successful this club has been. And maybe for the younger listeners or maybe for the younger fans, you know, um, they don't, they don't know Milan, um, as, as they used to be. They kind of just say, oh, it's a club that like kind of makes, you know, good transfers or uh, a run at, at certain titles, but really they're not anything special. Like, yeah. Really. You know, it's like this. No, they, they've won seven Champions Leagues. They, you know, they've won eighteen Serie Serie A titles, um, uh, a UEFA Super Cup, Cup Winners Cup, uh, a FIFA Club World Cup. You know, Coppa Italia, Super Coppa Italias. So there's, I mean, just a little bit of perspective. You know, Juventus, we've covered um, earlier in the pod, has thirty six Serie A titles. Milan has eighteen. Um, so Juve is still the the most hated, you know, club of, of all. But, uh, <laughs> Milan, Milan definitely is is uh, more successful than their recent history has has shown. Um, so that was fun to talk about. I mean, you know, I you look at at the arches or that that kind of like structure of the San Siro or of uh, the Giuseppe Meazza. Um, it's it's iconic. You 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 see it and you know where you are. Down to even like video games. I remember when I was in college, you play a video game and the opening scene of the of the game location in your FIFA video game is these arches. And it's like, Oh wow, we're playing in San Siro now. Yep. It's like, so, yeah, it's like the Wembley spires. Right. Right. Yep. They, they almost tra- transcend, um, different, different realms or different aspects of, of, uh, pop culture and day-to-day life. Um, the Coover suit, which is like the South curve, of of the, of the stadium is, is famous. And, um, they're actually kind of, kind of known for the birth of ultras uh culture in italy um an ultra is uh, a crazy fan who can be found at your local tattoo parlor getting a tattoo of the club <laughs> crest on a chest or you know next to his mom's name is is the ac milan logo tattooed on the chest or kaka's um, face or kaka's face you know so like these guys are are you know Heads are shaven or heads are under a, a baseball cap. Um, they're at a pub. They're, you know, at a pub, at a pub before, at a pub after uh, the game. And yeah, the guys lighting flares. That's that's a that's an ultra. Um, yeah. They're, they're saying that Milan is was one of the birthplaces of that culture, which you know, on on its best days is, is some of the, the beauty of, uh, of of sport. And on, on its worst days, we've we've seen how ugly it can get when. When sport um, gets perverted and gets kind of manipulated in a in a frenzy of, of tribalism and hate, so my brother and I had a a little run in with some AC Milan ultras back in 2014. Wow, we or 13, 13, I think. We went to a Barcelona AC Milan Champions League match, which I'm, I will mention later, and I foolishly chose to buy seats, which were the cheapest seats in the away section. So we get up there and, you know, there are no, there are no seats among the ultra. You are just, it's, it's general admission up there, no matter what your ticket says. And, uh, so my brother and I, as the rule followers and Americans that we, that we were just were like, Oh, well let's go to our seats. And we tried to get into our seats and they were having none of it. 
went down to try to find someone to help us because we didn't know what the hell to do if we couldn't get to our seats. Uh, we got a shrug from a guard or like an usher, went back, kind of pushed our way in, and they spotted us right away and started just screaming at us and uh, screaming like, Inglés, Inglés! And we got the hell out of there and luckily found our way towards a different section of the caged-in-away section. Um, <laughs> it was super scary for about 25 minutes. We didn't know what to do. Uh, and they were they were having none of us. So uh, quite the group, especially those traveling, those travelers. Anyways. Yeah. You know, if, if you're a traveling fan in, in, in Syria and in Italy, you're, you're definitely <coughs> pretty hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you're going to you're going to Spain on a Wednesday night, right? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 nuts, man. But I, again, yeah, like I I think, um, part of the fun was was uh, was just looking at at the fans that make this sport as fun as it is. Um, you know, in such an in such a weird time of of uh, sport right now, where no fans are in, are in attendance. You, you you miss some of that culture and you miss some of that feel. Yep. Yeah, you, you have a great picture on our little notes here of it looks like it's Matarazzi and Rui Costa. Matarazzi's got his his elbow on Rui Costa's shoulder. One is a uh an AC or a Milan player and another is an inter player and they are just staring at at uh flames on the field from the from the uh from what, what the fans threw down, it's a great picture. You know, it's it's like this the just the the stark contrast of of, uh, of so many things, right? Like, um, Inter and AC are are these are these heated rivals, and and those players featured in that picture, Matarazzi's not exactly a uh, a, a boy scout. Um, Rui Costa is a future competitor himself too, and so these two guys, these warriors, are just kind of standing there, almost like brothers when. When they shouldn't be, they're you know, classic red versus blue, classic you know, uh, crosstown rivals are just standing there, um, just taking in this this weird scene that you you look like if you are, if you crop out the grass part, yeah, it could be like a Star Wars scene, man. I don't know, like it's zero visibility. You yeah, can't see behind it's the flares, um, red smoke and flares. Yeah, no, and, and I, I think. I don't know, man. A part of me is like just kind of smiling, like man, like that's the beauty of of, uh, of soccer. And you, you, I don't know if there's a place for that in other sports. Not that I want that, but I think it's something that you, is really unique to to soccer, to calcio. Yep. Um. Anything else on just kind of the 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 past of the club? They've obviously won a bunch of trophies, and we will talk about some highs and some lows, but. Any kind of overarching thoughts about the club's history that that are on your mind before we hop into rivalries and um and some cameos? No, no, no. no. Uh, yeah, let's, let's let's move on. Yeah. All right. So rivals. Obviously, Inter is um, their number one rival. They share a stadium. They share a city. It is called the Derby della uh, Madonnina because there is a Milan Cathedral that has the Virgin Mary statue atop it and. You know why else? Why why wouldn't you call it that if there's just a statue of the Virgin Mary somewhere in the city? <laughs> right. Um, very very Catholic uh, 
very Catholic move. Um, Genoa is another one, and this is this is one that has to do with some fans uh, and more on the other side. So Genoa does not like Milan. Um, they have they had a fan in 1995 named Vincenzo Spagnolo who was stabbed to death. Um, so Genoa has you know decided that. Milan is going to be a rival of theirs. Obviously, Genoa is a very small club. I don't even know if they're in Serie A right now. I don't think they are. Um, and then, and then Juventus, most popular club in Italy. Everyone hates them, and uh, those are kind of the three the three rivals that I could find. Yeah, I, I think I think again, it, it's a given that if if you're if you're an Italian team, you're, one of your rivals is, is Juve um, and Inter. I, I did not know about Genoa. Yeah. Um, but that, yeah, man. Uh, I'm looking at my map right now. Genoa is... Genoa's in like the... It's also in the Northwestern. It's in like that po- kind of little pocket where the big part of the peninsula squeezes. It kind of pinches down at the top of the boot if we want to continue to use that image. Right, okay. Um, yeah, so they're, it's kind of close to Milan, but it's not It's not close enough to it for it to be kind of a geographical rival if if they didn't have this um, story from 1995. Right. I mean, you'd think Sampdoria would have more rivalry with Genoa, but not really. Yeah. Well, um, okay. I, yeah, so that's um, those, are, those are the three... Um, I think Inter and Milan both have the same amount of Scudettos, which, you know, they're always just constantly competing with each other, which is, um, and, and they play each other endless amounts of times because they see each other twice a year and they cross paths in, in cups. And it's a little bit like Real Madrid and Barcelona where I, as an outsider, all the games blend together. Right. Uh, cause they do, they can see each other three or four times in a, in a calendar year. Um, I, I add a little bit to that. Um, that rivalry uh, between Inter and kind of have that bleed over in, into the tradition part. Um, I don't know how many how many rivals share a stadium. Yeah, I know. I, I'm I'm trying to. In the United States, the Lakers and the Clippers share an arena. Okay. Um, we have done a podcast on another team is it Sampdoria that share or Susulo Susulo shares a stadium right with somebody else um I can't remember who but they share is it that yeah someone someone else does but it's it's a rarity right because I'm looking at some of the the games that were played between them and these are high profile games I mean the the Coppa Italia final in 77 you got the Coppa Italia group stages in 80 and 81 semifinals in 85 quarterfinals for uh 93 and then you've got some Champions League ties like Champions League semifinal in, in 0203 man that's a crazy uh derby day yeah back to back it's like two weeks two weeks apart or a week apart and the only thing that changes is who gets the tickets Right. 
Wow. And that's the other thing. When you only have 34,000 fans showing up for a Milan game and 41 for an Inter game, those, that place is going to be full, you'd imagine, for those matches because there are tickets available. Right. Because the, because the stadium is large enough to kind of ho- have everybody. Um, yeah. The people were really clamoring for a Lakers-Clippers playoff series, I think, for the same reason, just that idea of these two right. teams showing up to the same place for a potential seven-game series. And the only thing, you know, the, the floor of the the court changing the logo right. in the middle. But, yeah. It's, I, think, I think that's what I meant by, like, kind of rivals uh, that were high profile. Like, like I, I, guess, I guess the Lakers and Clippers are, in my mind, would, would be the closest kind of rivals to, to actually mean anything in, yeah. in the same game. Yeah, but the Clippers are pale in comparison to the history of the Lakers. The, the right. Milan and Inter, as far as success that they both have and have had, um, it is it's it strikes me as as completely I don't know it's rare or it's a one off that I can think of. I mean, that's if you take both of those clubs and combine their their winners, you get thirty six Scudettos, and they have both had a ton of success. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a great. That's a. It's a. It's a really. Uh, it would be a shame if Milan moved for that. You know, for that purpose. Yeah, sure. To take away from that, that bit. Um. Well, let's get to your favorite section, Both. <laughs> yeah, it it has become my favorite section just because. I don't know, man. Again, I, I talk about it a lot now. Um, it's just the web, the web of of uh, football transfers and. Everyone's got their own cool, cool story or cool journal entry in this in this uh, I don't know novel that is that is pro football, pro football. Yeah. So I've got to give before we hop into the into the next few sections, I have to give a shout out to uh, a guy named Nick who I reached out to on Twitter. He runs the Boston Milan Twitter handle. Um, I was directed to him through Reddit, and I just reached out to him and kind of asked him you know what are who are the heroes villains best cameos and kind of all this all the little things we do and he wrote me back um with a bunch of gold that is is going to come through and in, in, um in a lot of what we're going to talk about from here on out so i want to thank nick for for helping me with my homework um for this podcast because he had some he had some great stuff so best cameos, you want to just you want to do like your run through the list and then we can circle back. Yeah. Um, OK, Pirlo, uh, Catalina, Obama, Yang, Pierre Emerick, Obama, Yang, Willie, Obama, Yang. Um, obviously, you can pick up on that later. Paulo Decanio, why, like, why not talk about him? Ibra, Beckham, um, Brazilian Ronaldo or the original Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Robinho, Cafu. Shadik Sadorf, uh, brother of Clarence Sadorf, Fernando Torres, Ray Wilkins, uh, are just like, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, if you want to just spend an entire decade going through this this history, you can because they've got all kinds of cameos out there. Yeah, you could do a whole podcast on just the guys who showed up and played a handful of years. The, the original Ronaldo was one that that Nick mentioned to me and he said he wrote something and he just kind of gave me a little bit of 
of uh, he he's like, you got to fact check me on this, but I believe Ronaldo was cup tied in 07 when Milan won uh, the Champions League for the last time. And in fact, Ronaldo was cup tied. So he transferred or moved to Milan, could not play because I think he had already played a match or two for Real Madrid in the Champions League, which means he didn't win or is not recognized as a winner of that Champions League. And it's really the only trophy that he finished his career never winning. And he played for Real Madrid, Barcelona, and both Milans. And he never won that trophy. Which is amazing. I mean, guy won a World Cup. Guy probably won every domestic cup you could win. And just never won a Champions League. Just missed all those. Every team that he played for had probably won a Champions League during his career. He just missed them all. Yeah. So that was an interesting um, little bit about Ronaldo. Huh. The Brazilian Ronaldo, the the OG. Uh, uh, yeah. I forgot Beckham. <laughs> I forgot that Beckham went there. Yeah. <laughs> On loan from the Galaxy too. Right. Uh, and I, I read a little bit and, and um, about it, and people thought it was kind of a a farce and just a marketing ploy, which is what a lot of people thought about him going to the Galaxy as well. Uh, I mean, once Beckham was famous and moved anywhere, it was just seen as a right. a way to get more eyeballs on your club and make a little bit of money. But but the articles I read kind of praised him for actually being pretty good for a 33 year old guy at the at the tail end of his career. Um, so that was another one that I, that just caught me, caught me off guard. I didn't realize that he was there. Any, who, who do you want to talk about? Um, yeah, all the, I mean, like for me, a shout out to Beckham. He's a baller, man. Like you ask any player, uh, who's played with him, uh, they'll say he's a professional through and through. Um, one of my favorite images I have of, of Beckham's time at Milan was, uh, it's Beckham, Ronaldinho and Pirlo standing over a ball. <laughs> I'm just like, oh man. Um, that, yeah, no, he's a baller, man. I, I, I love that he went out there with number 32, um, the, the reverse of his 23 that became this, you know, this kind of global, uh, brand, um, Beckham 23 at Madrid and then at Galaxy. Um, so yeah, uh, look up Beck, Beckham goals, man, and, and you'll be happy to, to see him score a couple for, for Milan. It's, it's nice to see. Um, Talking about just a couple of things, uh, Aubameyang brothers, man. I did not know that he had brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Neither uh, did I. Yeah, that was just cool. I, I caught that, and I, I, you know, his his siblings, or sorry, his half brothers, um, they're not as successful as as Pierre Aubameyang, um, but that's just a cool story, man. When you can when you can say that family blood has uh, been, you know been woven into the to the dna of, of milan history and that's kind of a, a theme that we'll, we'll get into in the next uh sec section or segment yep yep for sure um i don't know cafu like cafu's the kind of <laughs> i think like this name that i mean you think about you know the the job of a of a modern day fullback um you've got to go up and down and swing in the cross and occasionally do a step over occasionally take a shot i mean you're 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 an all-around player but i so it's it's almost maybe taken for granted, but Cafu I think is at least in my eyes one of the, the guys to really drive home that a right back can can still you know start the attack and finish it. 
Um, so I, I love watching him play in his later years, and it's a great name. And then Shedrick Sador, brother of Clarence Sador, like that's again a, a cool, cool story. Um, my last one I want to go into in this in this part here is, or at least for me on my side, is Ray Wilkins, and that caught my eye because it's like that's that's the least, you know. I mean, you look at like a, a kid's book, right? It's like find what does not fit. Yeah. And you look at names like these, are like kind of like exotic and foreign names, you know. Inyo and Ibra and all these these Ray Wilkins and I, I picked them up because I, I was like I believe he passed not too long ago in 2018 and so I remember that um, just from a random Premier League you know moment of silence for Ray Wilkins but he's got a cool a cool story man um, English dude born in uh, Hillingdon England Played Chelsea, played at Chelsea, played at uh, United in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, like for a decade between the two, 73 to 84, Chelsea and United. Right, goes to Milan for three years. Yeah. Um, you know, and then from Milan goes to PSG Rangers, Q, uh, QPR, Crystal Palace, QPR again, Wickham, Hibernian, Millwall, and Leighton Orient. Yeah. Uh, like, I, you know... I, I don't know. It's maybe it's just me, but I don't think of an Englishman as as somebody that's the most likely to be well traveled as a as a pro footballer. Um, and then whenever that does happen, it's it's like man, look, look at those teams he's played for. Because um, I don't know, like Aaron Ramsey playing right now for Juventus is is kind of new mm-hmm. or not, mm-hmm. um, or Kieran Trippier playing in in La Liga. Like that's like kind of a a, a big deal. Um, so yeah, cool, cool story and, and, um, really cool, really cool way of, of just, uh, showing how, how even the English dude can, can go travel and play in Milan. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't even know who he was until I, I, uh, I saw the name on the list that you had and I think you're right. It's so funny. The, the English, I don't know if they don't want to go other places or are just content where they are um, or they have this exceptional kind of like Premier League exceptionalism where they think they're already in the best club. Why would they or the best league? Why would they want to go anywhere else? Because Beckham wanting to go to Real Madrid was a big deal. Right. Like wanting to leave United at the point he did was kind of confounding to people. And, you know, we've talked about guys like Matt Letizia, who would have been amazing if he went on the continent and played. It, he would have it, it, like that, that just the way soccer was played in the 80s and 90s. He would have he would have been so good. Um, yeah, it's just even a guy like Harry Kane right now seems reluctant right. to want to go and leave England. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It's it's interesting to look at. I mean, you know, you, like across the leagues, everybody, fans and teams and whoever, they're all excited to bring in the next talent from Spain, France, Brazil. You know, one of those teams, but no one's really like, oh my god, I want I want to bring in the English talent. Yeah, uh, it's just yeah, it's a different thing. They're but yeah, so, anyway. they're they're usually asking. It's usually the other way around where the the English player is is seeking that transfer. Yeah. Or even like Deli Alley this week. Right. To put another timestamp on this uh, podcast, I saw that he's he'd like to go to uh, PSG. Right. 
which makes sense. Pochettino's there and he got along with him, I guess. But, you know, it, you don't see a lot of English guys wanting to go live in Paris and, and play soccer. No, no, it's different. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, I tell me more about, about your side of the, note, the notes here. I, I, I did not go into this banter era. Oh, so that 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 kind of comes up in the in the bottom during the darkest kind of low low points. The banter era is pretty the banter era era is really like from 2012 to 2019 when Berlusconi ran out of money and we'll talk about Berlusconi in a little bit. And so they were just kind of desperate for for guys and Nick sent me a list of Torres, who you miffed, Fernando Torres, who you mentioned, uh, Hinkwein, and he he uh, cap he capped off the Hinkwein with just that he was shit. Uh, <laughs> Michael Essen, uh, Nigel De Young, and he said Nigel De Young was fantastic. Alex, um, so the banter area was era was just that chunk of time really when they Milan's form dipped. They didn't have a lot of money and uh, were kind of scrounging up scrounging up guys and and um so nick nick was the one who who gave that who gave that name to me as far as a as an era for for the club so glad you got decanio in there he's showed up a couple times in our podcast so he's like he's like pretty close to, to his his own point system yeah <laughs> yeah he was west ham right and uh and even just that shady that shady deal he was a part of with um, Tevez, right, right, yeah, right. yeah. All right, let's talk about some heroes. Cool, yeah. So you you have a bit on the on the Maldini. You said the Maldini dynasty. So I will step aside. Maldini dynasty. So uh, this is this is a wild, wild uh, just story that I think is is just one of the best stories, uh, or maybe underrated stories in, in all of sport. Um, Paolo Maldini is is the most known for me and my generation of, of uh, football fans. Um, I knew about his dad, Cesar Maldini, uh, but I, I didn't really know like that he was, he was also a uh, legend. Um, combined, the Maldini family, so Cesar Maldini, um, his son Paolo Maldini, who we know most, and then Paolo's son, Daniel Maldini, across three generations, the Maldini family has featured over a thousand appearances for AC Milan. I mean, Paolo himself played not had nine hundred two appearances. Right. <laughs> I think his dad is up there around four hundred and twelve. Yeah. Oh so his, my god. Cesar makes four hundred twelve appearances for for uh, for the club between fifty four and sixty six. So over a thousand. So let's call that a rough estimate of like what. 1300 something yeah yep uh milan have played uh 2900 matches oh cool so they're 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 not too far off of being of of playing half the matches that milan has has played in in its history um talk about family blood being in in the club so Um, so milan's played 2900 total matches at, at the writing of the article that I found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, this this article was was written uh, January seventh, twenty twenty one. Okay. Well, yeah, that's you're then you're not far off. Um, but yeah, like the the the, the Maldini dynasty even even goes beyond um, 
club success uh, here in the notes. I, I'm going to read off, off of the article I found. Um, when the qualifiers for the 98 World Cup began, Cesar and Paolo were reunited in football terms. Paolo had been a part of Cesar's under-21s for the first few years of his leadership before breaking into the senior squad a few months prior to Euro 88. By the time Cesar succeeded Sachi, Arrigo Sachi, uh, Paolo was a Zuri captain, a job he had been bestowed with after the international retirement of Baresi in 94. Baresi is also a, a legend that we'll get, go into later. Uh, yeah, we will. Uh, father and son are now in tandem, uh, head coach and captain of the Azuri. Jeez. A stunning familial achievement, which perhaps has no peers to speak of, at, at least at the, at the highest level. So I, I read this and I, I had to read it, I think, three or four times over because I'm just like, your your dad and your son have played for Milan, and, and you, your fam I mean, your family is Milan. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, Paolo uh, is is I'd say the most legendary of, of all of them with 902 official games played um, total, and then 647 in Serie. Yeah, so that's probably counting Coppa Italia's, uh, Champions Leagues, or you know European Cups. Yeah, but, yeah. Anyway, Maldini Dynasty number three is retired and can only be can only be worn if sons of Paolo choose to wear number three. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So it's like it's like you have to have like the secret pass you know passcode or DNA to unlock number three. Man, um, but you know, insane, insane piece of history, man. That I think is uh, one of the coolest I've I've, I've come across. Yeah, that's uh, so. 1994, that World Cup team that made the finals and lost to Brazil was captained by Paolo Maldini and coached by Cesar Maldini. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. I, I mean, I knew, I knew the the Paolo part. I did not know the, uh, the that his father was the coach of that team. No, man, it, it, uh, it's it's cool. I, I'm just like imagining like if they ate dinner together, at, you know, at home. Like, what what do they what do you say? <laughs> yeah i don't know they probably talk uh about playing sweeper a lot, right. of, a lot of defensive discussions oh my yeah a, a lot of salt shakers moving across the <laughs> maldini paolo maldini played from 84 to 2009 i mean uh, all this it that's an amazing amazing stretch of time that is four decades on one team um, or sorry, three de- three decades on one team. And if you just stuck around for one more year, it would have been four decades. He won a Champions League in each one of those decades too, which is astounding. That's nuts. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think of that at all. Yeah, 89, and then they won a couple in the 90s and um, the, the two in the 2000s. Yeah, so... And, and then you mentioned uh, Barisi, who was another just long-time... He played 20 years, and him and, and Maldini crossed over for 13 of those years. They played in the back together. And Barese had 352 appearances, or sorry, 532 appearances um, from 77 to 97. Uh, his nickname was uh, Kaiser Franz, um, kind of recalling Beckenbauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a member of you know what a lot of people consider maybe the greatest defense in uh, history of football, so him and Paolo Maldini, and then Costa and Mauro uh, Tassotti, and then Christian Panucci were 
the kind of interchangeable parts and they played together for Milan and they were also all Italians, which is incredible. Um, he won, Barisi won three Champions League titles. He won six Serie A's. He won four Supercopas. He won two European Super Cups and two Intercontinental Cups. He also won the World Cup in 82. He made the finals in 94. He was one of the guys who missed a penalty kick in that in that final at the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Him and uh, he, <laughs> he, he should probably write um, Baggio a, a thank you note every year that he is not the one remembered for for losing that World Cup because I did not know that he was the other one to miss. Uh, he was Barese was named Milan's Player of the Century in 1999. He was also the leading scorer in the 89 and 90 Italian Super Cup. They did not win, um, which just fuels more of my where the hell were all the strikers in the late 80s, early 90s? Yeah, <laughs> that, is, that a sweeper. Score as a, as a sweeper. <laughs> yeah. He's, I think he scored 31 goals total in his career, and 21 of them are penalty kicks. Wow. Um, the Supercopa was the o- the Italian Supercopa was the only one. It says it's the only cup he didn't win, but it's listed as as a as a as a trophy he won. So I'm not quite sure about that. Um, and then the other interesting part about Baresi's time there is he was there for the two stints in Serie B because Milan did have uh, two seasons in the early 80s. Baresi was man, he was young. He started in 77. Uh, and in 1980, they were relegated because of a match-fixing scandal. And then in 82, they were relegated because they sucked. Wow. And he stuck around, and he was named captain at age 22 because he didn't kind of ask out and help the team earn promotion after one year in Serie B both times. So they were relegated, one promotion, relegated immediately again, and then one promotion and, and never looked back. Um, he had a brother who played for Inter, uh, an older brother who was also a very good footballer. Um, I think they played on they played on the Italian team together, and uh, and Franco was initially kind of called uh, Baresi number two, the little brother, and he soon earned his own nicknames and kind of over o- overshadowed his brother. Uh, just quite the quite the player. Another really good. We I feel like we've talked a lot about center backs from this like the '60s, '70s, '80s on this podcast. Bobby Moore, right? Um, just a kind of a, a cool lineage. I think it goes to show how important that position is when you're talking about clubs that uh, clubs and countries that win major trophies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Van Dyke being another guy right now as we think about teams that are excellent in the 2020s. Uh, and then just another kind of little bit on the heroes, and you've got a you've got a list of names too. Um, there was a Dutch trio brought in in the eighties: Van Bastian, Ruud Hullet, and Frank Rijkaard. They were brought in together, which was didn't really it struck me as like, oh, that's interesting. You very rarely see a club just saying we're going to buy three guys from the same country and have them play together. This is the second this is this was the second time that Milan did this. They did it in the early part of the middle middle part of the century. They brought in three guys in the 50s. And they were called Granoli. And it was Gunnar Gren, 
Gunner, Nordahl, and Nils Lindholm. And they were three attacking players. They brought them all in together, and the club went on to win the Scudetto in 51, 55, 57, 59, and 62. So this was a recipe that they had that they had used before. And uh, they brought in those three Dutch guys and, and uh, took off and won a bunch. Um, and then just some other guys that that Nick kind of listed, obviously, uh, Kaká, Gattuso, Nesta, Seydorf, Inzaghi, Shevchenko, um, all those kind of Ancelotti guys. And then another hero, uh, <laughs> he's not a player. He is, and I'm, I'm loath to call him a hero because of the type of person he is. Um, but Berlusconi, you know, stepped in and bought the club in the 80s turned them or yeah in the 80s and really turned the whole thing around and they won 29 trophies when he was the chairman of the club um the 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 comparisons to donald trump are are never ending and very easy to spot the amazing part is it would be like if you took trump had him involved heavily involved in upper level national politics for 25 years instead of the four to six that he was in America. And then on top of that, he also owned the Lakers or the Yankees while he was, you know, I mean, it, it is like this. It's, I, I read a huge article about Berlusconi. I kind of had a sense of who he was. Uh, his Wikipedia page is just a treasure trove of nonsense and, and like a, just a crazy story. Um, you have to go way down far to the bottom to even get to Milan because of all of his, political aspirations and his TV deals and his side deals and his backroom deals and his lying and his cheating and all of that stuff. Um, and I think Milan fans are probably torn as to, you know, the way they won and having it be tied to Berlusconi in the, you know, in the, in the annals of history. Uh, but I, I had to put him in here just as at least someone to talk about because he is a central figure to how good this club was for, for a generation Man, yeah, I I just did exactly what you told me to do. Uh, is just go to Wikipedia, and it is wow. Yep. Wow. I mean, because w- the beauty of Wikipedia is they give you like those little titles that that they section things off, and you just all you have to do is right. just scroll through and read those twenty titles, and you get a real good sense of of who this guy was and who this guy is. Um, so that's that's the list, and you've got a whole list of guys who have who have won yeah. the world cup while playing for Milan, which is a great list. No. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's hard to, to just kind of pick one hero. I mean, yes, Maldini and, and Baresi, um, are, are names that really come, come to the top, but, um, you know, there are so many players that have won big, big trophies or big honors at, at Milan. And I think it just shows more about their history and more, more about their status as, as a super club. Um, you know, they're kind of dormant right now, but, I think they're one of those clubs that when, when they come back to to their normal status as Giants, it, it'll be fun to watch. Um, we've got uh, Pietro Arcari uh, winning the World Cup. So these sorry, these are all players who won the FIFA World Cup while playing for Milan. Uh, Pietro Arcari uh, for Italy, Franco Baresi for, um, for Italy in Spain, 82. Um, Fulvio uh, Colovati in, uh, for Italy. Marcel Desailly for France, Roque Jr., Brazil, Gattuso, Giardino, Nesta, and Zaghi Pirlo for Italy, all in 06. So these guys, one, two, three, four, five. Yep. 
five guys, sorry, six guys uh, were on the 06 Italian team um, when they won it. And then this list right here is uh, people who won the, the Ballon d'Or. The Ballon d'Or is this, probably the most prestigious trophy you can win as a player. It's just essentially who's the best player. Um, it's, it's a tournament or a competition that's kind of gotten skewed in the Messi Ronaldo era, but uh, you know, before that, you've had you had uh, Gianni Rivera won a Ballon d'Or. Rude, uh, you said it was Hullet. Rude Hullet, yeah. Hullet. Um, sorry, I, I I pronounced that all wrong my entire life. Um, I think you can say Gullet as well. I don't think. Okay. Yeah, I I I'm, I think it might be one of those names where I, I've heard both of them. Okay. Um, Marco Van Basten won it three times, eighty-eight yeah. and ninety-two. So Bolognior, Bolognior, almost three years in a row, uh, two years back to back. Well, and if we look at it from Hull, sorry, Hullet won eighty-seven, Van Basten won at eighty-eight, eighty-nine, and ninety-two. So they had the Bolognior winner from eighty-seven and ninety-two in four of those seasons playing for them. And then, right, not long after that, you've got George Weah winning it in ninety-five. Yeah. So talk about a, a golden era right there. Um, Andrei Shevchenko is a Ukrainian player who, man, this guy that deserves so much more credit than than he's currently getting, and he's a, kind of a, one of those strikers that gets forgotten by by younger fans. Um, amazing goal scorer. Um, when is it in, in two thousand and four, and then Kaká wins it in two thousand and seven. So you know we're talking about a club that's got some really really good history here and. Um, as a neutral, I, I hope they get back to those to those levels of success. It's fun to right now watch Ibrahimovic do what you know do what he's currently doing, but I, I want them to, to be up there again, man, in some of these bigger bigger European games. Yeah, I feel like they. I think within the club and some stuff I read, and even just the sense I got from from Nick over over Twitter was I, I they they have a sense that things are slowly turning around. They've got they've got good guys in their front office. Paolo Maldini's there. Um, the money is starting to flow a little bit a little bit again. So I think I think they're pretty hopeful, which is great. Uh, villains. I I only had one kind of named villain. Uh, obviously, Inter is a villain. Juve. Those are more rivalries. Um, I put Liverpool in here. And I think Nick Nick had said it too, just because of what happened in Istanbul. Yeah, it was nuts. Um, and that uh, we'll we'll get to it in a little bit. But AC Milan has a little bit of a history of blowing big leads in Champions League. Right. It, it, that was not the first time, um, or maybe it was the first time. There's it just became a little bit of a trend in the last twenty years. Uh, also, Pirlo did not leave himself. Uh, with or or cover himself in much glory he just wrote a biography i guess and did not have a lot of great things to say about milan i couldn't find any clips but this was another nick little nugget um he wanted to leave barcelona for barcelona while they were while milan was winning um and then of course you naturally have you know the juventus jealousy where that's where pirlo ends up going and really becomes kind of more well-known with Juventus and now he's managing them. Um, so that's, that's uh that was the one guy. And then Benucci and Hinquain. Hinquain is, I, he's another guy. I just don't understand why people think he's good, but it's one of my least favorite players to watch. I think 
But those were the only villains I could come up with. I mean, I, there's we always talk about the small clubs not having a lot of villains. Right. Sometimes the big clubs also don't have a lot of villains because they just kind of squash everybody, and it's just right. more of like we, you know, we've got some rival club rivalries. But as far as players coming and going, they're not really gonna let get much create many many villains. Right. It's kind of like one of those uh, clubs that you know you really got to get back into European competitions to have a have a villain or have a have a rival that that means anything really. Yep. Yep. Or have a player who kind of bounces back and forth or right. leaves under a bad situation. Um, let's go a high point and a low point. I've got er- I've got just two eras picked out for this. I don't know if you you've got some more specific ones, so I'll let you throw your your um, your few out. Yeah, actually, I got um, I don't have much of a high point. I mean, uh, that I can like kind of pinned down as, as, as much as I've pinned down something like this. So a low point for me um, in my research was when they had the fewest points in a Serie A season, kind of just showing their their least successful um, campaign. Mm. Um, the, the, and this first one was back when uh, you got two points for a win and not three. So um, the current model is three points uh, for a win, one point for a tie, zero for a loss. This was when it was two points for a win, and I believe one for a tie, zero for a loss. Um, 24 points in 30 games during the 81-82 season. Uh, that's that's really bad. Uh, averaging under a point a game. Um, that's got to been had to have been tough for fans. Uh, and then in the era where three points were awarded for a win, they only got 43 points in 34 games during the 96-97 season. Um, which is kind of like crazy uh, thinking about, you know, George Weah winning the Ballon d'Or in '95. Uh, yeah. The season after that is, is your is your worst, one of your worst in, in history. So um, it'd be cool to kind of jump back in time and see what actually happened or transpired in in those short months between '95 and '96 season. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my my bit for the low point. Uh, yeah, I mean, talking about. The worst loss that I've seen, uh, you know, Champions League final, um, Istanbul has to be another like one, maybe the darkest moment in, in modern modern time. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's a low point when it's also you get the trade off is it's an incredibly high point for Liverpool fans. Um, right. Just the the shocking to be three nothing up at halftime of a Champions League game, you know, neutral site and Liverpool comes out and scores. I think it was three goals in like the first six or seven minutes of that half. Um, yeah. The, the highlights yeah. of that are really frantic. Right. And then I think Liverpool scores one more to win 4-3 late in the match. It didn't even go to extra time. It was one in 90 minutes. If I remember correctly, and then you know Steven Gerrard's the hero. Um, oh, so sorry. Um, it was they won on penalties. They won on penalties. Yes, they won on penalties. Um, so Champions League. This is. Uh... Oh, okay. I stand corrected. Wait, wait, wait! No, 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 no! Sorry, is this is this the rematch? The rematch was was in 07 when okay, when yeah, Milan won. 
Right. This is 05. Um, so, yeah. Uh, here we go. Um, 3 0 at half. Yep. Second half, we'll have to come back three goals in six minutes to, to go 3 3. And then they, they remain tied until penalties. Okay, man, I thought I thought they scored. I, I thought it was a four-three win, but I guess the I guess they won the penalties. So there you go. Real tough way to lose a Champions League. It was the the other the other painful thing about it was um, uh, the year before in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, they had beaten uh, Deportivo La Coruña, I think, four-one um, in the first leg. But then they lost the second leg for nothing, and so the aggregate score there was was five uh, four, and so you go o four to o five. They really had some crushing defeats. Um, I was the game I went to that I talked about earlier was in two thousand thirteen. They were up two nothing on Barcelona, and that was the that was a team that you know was in this banter era that that Nick mentioned. Um, right at the start of it that they were kind of running out of money. Uh, the team was still pretty good. They had, I mean, they had Mario Balotelli. I think Kaka was still there. Um, you know, they were solid, but they surprised Barcelona two nothing in at the San Siro. And then Barcelona won four nothing, um, at the camp new. It was a pretty staggering victory to see in person. Um, Especially all those fans who were super excited. It just Messi had a ma- it was masterful, and uh, I think AC, I think Milan hit the post early in the match um, and just couldn't couldn't get any momentum. But they so they have a little history over that 04 to 2013, at least three different years where they kind of gave up some rather comfortable leads. So and then and then the that banter era. From you know 2012 to really almost just about last year 2019, um, they Berlusconi has run out of money. Uh, they don't really sign anyone. They haven't won. They don't win anything, uh, and they kind of became a laughing stock, just a mid-table team. Um, I think they even finished kind of as low as maybe 10th or 11th, which is which is not great for a club with with their with their money and and uh, and stature. And then they get bought and they go into a massive amount of, they still kind of plummet into debt and uh, they, and they defaulted uh, young, young Hung Lee bought, buys them, which is I think a Chinese uh, businessman. And then the Elliott fund comes along and buys them. And um, the Elliott fund is an American backed by an American. And I think there's a little bit of hope now, like I said earlier for them but that's that's kind of the low point this last little chunk of time obviously getting relegated in the early 80s as well was not great uh best trophy yeah um i actually didn't transfer that that part over from my last from my other uh notes document but i just found i brought it up here um it has to be it has to be the the revenge man for me the Liverpool victory yeah. in 07? Yeah, that like I, I, I don't think uh anything anything means more than, than, than redemption. Um I think yeah, you know, you have here the the Juve win in two thousand three. I remember I was in middle school, man, at at our at our beloved alma mater, um, watching that final. Um but uh 
Yeah, my vote is in, in my other notes. It's it's the Istanbul uh, revenge. Hmm. And it's the last one, you know. Yeah. So as a fan right now, looking back, you you're going to look back fondly on that on that last Champions League victory. Yeah. The I picked out the '94 Champions League just to beat Barcelona four nothing in a final is is pretty awesome. They were they were I think Van Bastian was out. They had a couple guys out with injuries. They really were not supposed to compete in that game, um, and just to win four nothing. Some other some other great matches and and great moments. Uh, so the 07 Champions League that you mentioned beating Liverpool after the 05 disaster. The undefeated, they went undefeated in 91-92 to win the Scudetto. They went 58 games unbeaten. That's crazy. That's, that's incredible. So Arsenal Arsenal went, what, 38? Was that the season? Yeah. I don't know what they did the year after um, or how long that streak existed, but 58 games is, is pretty stunning. Um, Nick also pointed out 1998-99, they won the Scudetto on the very last day. Uh, and it was really kind of a big surprise because that kind of window of time in the late '90s, they were they were not a great club, uh, so they they surprised themselves and and won um, on the last day. So those were the ones that that I picked out and, and Nick threw in a couple as well. Um, I didn't really have any close calls. What could have been? I guess the Liverpool, you know, it's a close call in '05. Yeah. It's kind of an obvious one. I also wonder what what could have been if if they didn't get redemption. Um, I mean, we talk about Champions Leagues uh, sometimes, even you know, determining a, a club's fate for the next few years. Um, like, what happened if what would have happened if they didn't win '07? Um, you know, Liverpool would have would have won another Champions League. Oh yeah. And I mean, the the butterfly effect is just is just having me shiver right now. Yeah. What could have been? Yeah, that's uh, that's a big one, I guess, for uh, for the sake of European soccer. Right. I, I think in Milan's case, the the loss of money would have just been sped up, and that that banter that banter era era would have been three three years longer. It would have started in two thousand nine, maybe. You know, Berlusconi runs out of money a little bit faster because. They're not riding the wave of a Champions League victory. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Um, my 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 what could have been is is you know kind of this accident of geography. Like, um, what what would have happened if Maldini that family uh, never never uh, played for them? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they've they've got almost half their half their games played for Milan, so. That's uh, another what could have been. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's funny you say that because when I was reading about Baresi, him and his brother actually initially went to an Inter tryout together. Yeah. And Inter liked Franco's brother, Giuseppe, more than they liked Franco. And they took Giuseppe and Giuseppe went on and played for Inter. And Franco was like, I guess I'll go try out for Milan. Yeah. And went, went that route. Um so that's another like talk about between Veresi and Maldini. Those are two very big moments um, that really from seventy seven to two thousand nine impacted the club. That's thirty plus years of of impact based on two center backs. Wow. 
which is pretty pretty stunning. The other we also didn't really talk, and I don't think we have to, but the we didn't really talk about a lot of managers. No, we didn't. I mean, this is this is one where you could almost do a, a AC Milan Volume Two of Volume. <laughs> I know. Uh, that, uh, yeah, I mean, because we we focused on we focused on the player side of it and a little bit of you know Berlusconi, but yeah, I I, I, don't, I don't think we even got got you know past tip of the iceberg with the players. Um, we could, could go into like you know the the, the complex storylines of leaving a club and coming back to it. Um, and that, that's a common trend for, for a lot of players. Yeah. Ibra, Pirlo, Beckham, um, among a few more. Uh, but yeah, no. So I think, Sean, this is my, my first pod where I don't talk about a manager. I know. And you got, and the, it's just a treasure trove of them. You got Ancelotti. Uh, you oh, mentioned yeah. Sachi. Um, you got, right. uh, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a collection of them that, that popped up as I was reading through, but the it is just such an overwhelming club as far as the history and the the people you could talk about that you really could do, and maybe we will, maybe we'll we'll do a, a volume two of of Milan as we as we work our way through some of these other clubs and decide to circle back and and talk about oh. some some other ones. But there is it's amazing the history of this of this club. No, I I, I mean you've got a lot of former players playing for this club, and I'm, I'm looking at it now. There are names here, man, that, yeah, would, would add another 20, 25 minutes to this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe down the road we can do it because I think some of these clubs do deserve do deserve an, another another look. But for, for this week, we're going to wrap up there. Um, and thanks, everyone, for, for listening and sticking through this whole Milan pod. And uh, please give us a rating and review and all that good stuff. And uh, make sure you go back and listen to our our past pods about Italy and English soccer. And Both, we will see you next time for Parma. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thanks, Both. Yeah.